We are on Yevamos, Pei Gimel and Aleph 83a. We are at the very last page of this 8th chapter. We are completing now our 8th chapter in Yevamos. Uh, starting next week, we'll begin the 9th chapter. And then we will hit the 10th chapter in a few weeks. And the 10th chapter is a really fascinating chapter. It's really viewed as the second half of Yevamos. Uh, totally new topics, fascinating topics. Uh, that will come up in the 10th chapter. So here we go, uh, concluding the 8th chapter this week. Uh, the Gemara has been discussing the case of an androgynous, of somebody who has both male and female sex organs, um, and the different opinions as to what exactly is the halachic status of such a person. So on that note, we're really going to delve into other random topics because we mentioned... Um, Rabiosi. We mentioned the position of Rabiosi and what does Rabiosi hold in such a scenario. And the Gemara sort of goes on a tangent now and says, well, uh, the following halachas, uh, the following rulings, we follow Rabiosi. And these are all random rulings, nothing to connect, that really connect uh, to each other, uh, but except for the fact that we follow Rabiosi in those cases. And so therefore, we're, we're going to discuss uh, a bunch of random laws. So, says the Gemara, Amri Bey Rav Mishmed Rav, the house of Rav, which is referring to Rav Huna, says in the name of Rav, Rav says, Halachic Rabiosi, we follow Rabiosi with regards to the following two areas of law. Number one is Bandrogonus, by an Androgonus, meaning, Rashi explains that the case of Androgonus here is uh, this the case of Rabiosi. We had two different uh, versions, or Rabiosi might have. Uh, more accurately uh, went back on what he originally said, uh, but the point here is that we follow Rabiosi, who says that he is viewed as a male, that this androgynous is viewed as a male. We pass on like that. Ube Harkava, and with regards to Harkava, which we will explain momentarily, Shmuel Amar Bekoshi Ubekidish. And Shmuel says we follow Rabiosi when it came, comes to the following two cases, which the Gemara will also explain, which is Koshi and Kiddush. So the Gemara is going to go into all four cases right now. So androgynous hadarman, the case number one of the androgynous of the person who has both male and female sex organs, that is what we've already been discussing. And as we mentioned before, the idea is that uh, we we follow Rabiosi who says that he is um, viewed as a male. Now, the way we actually paskin in halacha is not so simple. This is what Rab says, but um, in the actual postkim, in the in the later day postkim halachic authorities, it's not exactly clear. Uh, some say that he is, uh, that an androgynous is viewed as unclear, whether it's a man or a woman, or maybe it's half man and half woman uh, with regards to its halachic status. Uh, there's many different opinions out there, and especially for the Rambam, Maimonides, he says different things in different places, and many of the commentators try to figure out what exactly is his rule, when do we apply one in one place, one in another place, but that's really uh, beyond the scope of uh, these uh, recordings in these classes. Uh, but it's really, to know what the actual law is requires more research. So that's all case number one. Case number two is Harkava. What is Harkava? So just a little bit of background. Uh, and it's interesting because this year is the Shemitah year. During the Shemitah year, every seven years, we have a seven-year cycle where you have to lay the land fallow. You're not allowed to work the land. And so... 
it doesn't actually just apply for the seventh year. The truth is, is that it applies a little bit beyond the seventh year. Um, at least during the days of the of the base of Mikdash, of the temple, they had something referred to as Tosefes Shviz, just like we have on Shabbos. There was a mitzvah to add on to Shabbos, not just to take in Shabbos at the very exact time, and that's when Shabbos begins, but to add a little bit of time to Shabbos, there's a mitzvah to do that. So too, when it comes to the Shemitah year, the year of Shabbos for the field, that, to, that the field rests, so there's also a mitzvah to add on some time, and uh, there's a big discussion, discussion about that, how much time, but let's say 30 days. 30 days, the entire month of Elul, the last month of the sixth year, uh, you shouldn't work the land. Um, and that's out of Tosefa Shabbos. There's also a second reason why you might not want to work the land in the end of the sixth year. And that's what we're going to be discussing now, which is that if you end up working the land to the point where it will take root during the Shemitah year itself, so then that is a problem. Why would that be a problem? Uh, that would be a problem because, uh, for one of two reasons, two possible reasons. Reason number one would be that it's a problem because um, the the mitzvah of, of letting the land rest is not that you, it's not on the person, this is an idea that's expressed by the Minchas Chinach, it's not on the person that the person shouldn't work the field, it's that the field should rest. And so therefore, even if you work the field before the Shemitah year, but the field, uh, it starts taking root during the Shemitah year, so then that's a problem, because it's not about you being active, but it's about letting the field rest. And so therefore the field is not resting during the seventh year, because you were active prior to the seventh year. That is potentially one approach. Another approach is that, no, it's not It's not as fundamental, but um, the point is, is that if it takes root during the seventh year, and it's a tree, let's say, so then three, four years later, you're going to start counting, well, how old is this tree? With regards to other areas of halacha, other laws, and then you're going to count backwards, and you're going to be like, wait a minute, this tree was planted during the Shemitah year. Uh, even though obviously it wasn't, but it looks like it was, because you start counting the years based on when it starts taking root. And so people will start getting confused, and they'll think that, you know what, this tree was really planted during the Shemitah year. Okay, but those are different reasons as to why, even before the Shemitah year, we have to be concerned about when will it take root, which is exactly our discussion. Ditnan, it says in the following Mishnah, A person should implant or graft, um, or, or right, put anything into the, into the ground, uh, less than, if within 30 days of Rosh Hashanah, during the Shemitah year, uh, before, prior to the Shemitah year, you shouldn't do that, let's say because of Tosef Shvis, um, or because it's going to take root. Well, really because it's going to take root during the Shemitah year. But let's say you did, let's say you did plant, so you have to uproot the plant. The law is that you have to uproot the plant. The Rambam Maimonides points out that any fruit that comes from the tree, uh, you're allowed to eat. You don't have to throw away the fruit, but you do have to uproot the plant. Now that's for a month. The first opinion says a month. Rabbi Huda argues and says that no, it, it takes three days. If it's going to take root, it'll take three days to take root. Otherwise, it's not going to take root at all. Rabbi Yossi and Rabbi Shimon say that no, two weeks. A middle ground, two weeks. It'll take root over the course of two weeks. And we follow Rabbi Yossi. The, point that we're, the reason why we're mentioning this is because this is the position of Rabbi Yossi. 
But they add and they explain. Because of the concept of Tosefah Shviyas that we add on to the Shemitah year, and we say that you're not allowed to work the land 30 days prior to the Shemitah year, meaning the last month of the sixth year, uh, not just the seventh year alone. So we really have to make sure, Rav Nachman says, that it, it shouldn't take root during that month. During that last month of the sixth year, it shouldn't even take root, which means that if you hold that it takes a month to take root, so then you shouldn't even work the land two months prior to the Shemitah year. If you say it takes three days, so it should be 30 days plus three days. And if you hold, the way we follow is two weeks, so then you're not allowed to work the land for six weeks prior to the Shemitah year because you have that month. Then you have another two weeks where there's the possibility that, that it'll take root during that month. So therefore we say, don't work the land for six weeks. The whole month plus two weeks, that is six weeks. And that is the position that we follow. That's all something which applied. This year is a Shemitah year in Israel. This is a year of Shemitah where they do not work the land. Um, and this would apply not just during the seventh year, but it would apply also at the end of the sixth year. They're not allowed to work the land six weeks prior to the Shemitah year. Okay. Um, that is that is law number two, where we follow Rabiosi, according to Rav. So that was what Rav said. Rav said when it comes to the androgynous, and when it comes to this law about Shemitah. Shmuel gave two other cases. Shmuel Amr, Bekoshi Vikiddush. He gave two other cases. Koshi and Kiddush. What are these two cases? Koshi did not. What is Koshi? Koshi is essentially as follows. Um, there are different laws about what happens in different scenarios when a woman... Um, has blood come out of the vaginal area. In general, um, without getting into too many details, if it's during, not during the normal cycle, so then if she bleeds for three days straight, she's referred to as a Zava Gidola, and she has to wait seven clean days. If it's during the normal cycle, so then, uh, the, then it's different. But if it's not during the normal cycle, so then if she bleeds for three days, She's viewed as a Zavagadola and she has to have seven clean days and then she could go to the mikvah to become pure. That's the regular case of Anida, of, uh, of Anida. And we assume, without getting into all the details of how we came onto this, but we assume that nowadays women, uh, when they bleed, so then uh, it's during the abnormal cycle. We're concerned, at least we're concerned that it's during the abnormal, not during the regular cycle. Um, however, one of the exceptions to this rule is that if it's blood that's, a, that's as a result of giving birth, so then that would not make her into a Zavagadola. This would just be the blood that comes from birth. Um, but it's not part of the normal period cycle. Um, and so therefore, she would not be viewed as a Zavagadola. She will have the impurity of uh, giving birth. When she gives birth, she becomes impure, and that has its own area of law. But the blood itself is not will not create a Zavagadola. It won't create her to having that status of Zavagadola where she requires seven clean days and then could go to the mikvah. So the question is, when does when do we determine, at what point in time do we determine that the blood that comes out during labor, prior to labor, uh, is in fact the blood that's associated with the labor? How far back could we go? And so we have different opinions. Ditanan. Kamiye kishuyaha. The first opinion is Rameir. Rameir says you could go back 40 or 50 days. But the condition is, is that she has to have 
be in labor during that those 40 50 days continuously so she has to be it's it's rare uh, very rare but it, has, it would have to be a case where she's really in labor over the course of 40 50 days if she's in labor consistently it can, sorry continuously uh, so then we'll say that any blood that comes out during those 40 50 days is really blood that's not connected to her uh, not connected to the to the period or to becoming a nida but it's really connected to uh, her giving birth. So that would have its own set of laws uh, when she gives birth. Rabbi Huda says, no, it's enough for a month. It's not 40, 50 days, but a month prior to giving birth. And Rabbi Yosemite says that it's really just two weeks prior to giving birth. That if she's in labor for the entire two weeks, so then she has up to two weeks for us to say that, you know what, any blood that comes out, the vaginal area is really blood which is part of the birth and it's not really connected to uh, just the regular period bleeding. Okay, that is Shmuel's law, next law, where Rabios and Shimon, we follow that opinion to say two weeks. You have two weeks. What's the next case? The next case is a very interesting case. Kiddush, the Tanan. We have the following Mishnah. There is an Avera, there is a sin to uh, combine... Kalayim, when you grow two different things, you're not allowed to grow geffen, a vineyard, together with produce. They cannot be uh, mixed together, and they can't grow together. Um, and if you do so, you have to you have to destroy it. Uh, you're not allowed to you're not allowed to eat it. Um, so what happens if you have the following case? Very interesting case. What happens if I have a neighbor? My neighbor has they're growing their produce. They have their produce. And I go to my to my field, right by the border of the field, and I start I I plant a vineyard tree. Um a vineyard. And the vineyard is extends over into my neighbors, and so therefore it's they're planting both together. It ends up being that they're planting both together. So our mayor is of the opinion that it's really not allowed. It is not allowed. Um, and not only is it not allowed, meaning that you created this Avera, but you also are now responsible to pay back to your neighbor because now that all this produce has to be thrown out. You have to throw it out. It's a violation of the Torah. The, the rule is, is that you have to throw it out. So you have to throw it out, and now you have to go ahead and pay your neighbor for what you did. That is the position of Rabbi Meir. Even though it's not direct damage, it's halachic damage to a certain degree, um, and, but still, you have to you have to pay back the damages which you caused. That's the position of a mayor. However, we follow the position. This is the point of Shmuel to say that we follow the position of Rabbi Yossi and Rabbi Shimon. Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Shimon, Omrim. No, Rabbi Yossi and Rabbi Shimon say, turning to Pegimo Bay's eighty-three B, Ein Adam Oser Davar They say no, it cannot be. Why? Because I do not have the right. Fascinating idea. I do not have the right. To say to do something to somebody else's property to say that now becomes forbidden. Through these kalayim, I'm essentially saying uh, I'm creating a situation where my friend's property becomes forbidden. Their their produce becomes forbidden. I don't have the ability to make somebody else's property become forbidden. It's something which I'm halachically I'm not allowed to do. Now the truth is the commentators point out that this is actually not true. Uh, for example, if I uh, throw non-kosher food into your pot. Of food that makes the food not kosher, no matter what that everybody agrees to. Um, 
So uh, if I, or let's say you have, you're cooking meat and I pour milk in, so that would also make it not kosher. Uh, so obviously, even though it's not mine, so obviously this can't be a rule which applies across the board. So it's a limited rule. It's definitely a limited rule. The question is, how far do you go? Uh, so Tosos, one of the classic commentators on the page, so he points out that this rule only applies when in order to to violate the Torah, it requires your thought. You need to want it. You need to, you're the one who created this. So for example, let's ignore our example right now in the Gemara, but let's say um, to create, uh, to worship your neighbor's idols or you create them into idols. They weren't idols originally. They just happened to be the property of your neighbor. You went ahead and you went to your neighbor's property and you start bowing down to it and you view it as an idol. You have to destroy it. Uh, but because uh, you could only create it into an idol because of your thought, it's your thought alone which determined that this this object is an idol. Otherwise, it wouldn't be viewed as an idol. It's only because of your thought. Uh, so therefore, uh, your thought does not connect to somebody else's property. That's the idea. It doesn't connect to somebody else's property because... You could you could create an idol within your own property, uh, what you own, but to do that to somebody else, you don't have that ability to do. So if it's about thought and the thought creates a halakhic reality, that won't happen to somebody else's property. But for me to throw a non-kosher food into your pot, that would that would a food that would certainly make the food not kosher, even though it's not mine. Very interesting discussion. Okay, the Gemara now asks. We had Rav give two cases where we say we follow Rabiosi, and we had Shmuel give two cases where we follow Rabiosi. The question is, according to Shmuel, does he agree to Rav in Rav's two cases, and does Rav agree to Shmuel in Shmuel's two cases? So that's what the Gemara is going to discuss right now. mali amar Shmuel. What does Shmuel say about an androgynous? Do we follow Rabiosi by an androgynous to say that it's like a male? Where it says Tashma Yes, in fact, he does. He follows Rabiosi. To say that he's he's like a male. What about Harkava? What about with regards to the laws of Shemitah that we discussed earlier? Mali Amr Shmuel. Does Shmuel comment on this? Does he say that we follow Rabiosi? Tashma Damar Shmuel Ravanan. Tani Kamandamar Shlosha Vishloshim. That no, Shmuel disagrees. In that case of, of the Shemitah, Rabiosi, if you recall, said that it's two weeks. It could take up to two weeks to um, uh, to take root. Shmuel follows the position that it could take it takes only three days. It doesn't take two weeks, but it only takes three days. Okay, what about the other way around? Koshi Mali Amarav. What does Rav say about the case of the blood uh, from labor? Remember, Rabiosi said that you have two weeks. Take So we don't know. We don't know what Rav would say, uh, who we follow in that case. Shmuel says we follow Rabiosi, who says two weeks, but we don't know what Rav would hold. And what about the last case? Kidush Mali Amarav. What would Rav say about the case of where the neighbor uh, plants the vineyard right next to the produce of his neighbor. Uh, does he have to? Does it create a problem of kilaim or not? Rabbi said that it doesn't because you don't have the ability to change somebody else's uh, property and to say that it's forbidden, halachically forbidden. So Tashma Adam Ravuna Marav Rav says in halachic Rabbi that we don't follow Rabbi Yosi in that case. It seems to be that Rav would hold that we wouldn't follow Rabbi Yosi. Uh, they just ask that Abai asks that, but we have another source which says that we do follow Rabiosi, that Rav himself does follow Rabiosi. The point is that Rufuna is the one who said said originally that we do not, 
And Rufuni says that that Ravali holds that we do not follow Rabiosi in that case. In that last case, uh, where the neighbor is potentially uh, making his neighbor's produce um, forbidden, uh, so Rabiosi says that you don't have the ability to do that, and so therefore it's not forbidden. But we don't follow that according to Rav. Rav Shmuel says that we follow Rabiosi, but Rav himself says that in that particular case, we do not follow Rabiosi. So those are the four cases where Rav in the first two cases, the Androgynous case and the Shemitah case, says that we do follow Rabiosi. And Shmuel in the last two cases, in the case of the blood that comes during labor, um, and also the case of where you plant a vineyard next to your neighbor's uh, produce. So in both of those cases, Shmuel says that we follow the position of Rabiosi, and then the Gemara tries to figure out, well, does Shmuel agree to Rav in his cases, and does Rav agree to Shmuel in his cases? And that's what we just quoted from the Gemara. So that concludes that topic, and then in the next recording we will discuss, uh, the Gemara will go on and discuss the case of a tumtum and other topics.